Hey, everybody. My name is Christopher Thomas. My name is Ross Froschick. And welcome to The Resties, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. This week, we are talking about the 25th anniversary of the original Half-Life. And going deep into the future, we're talking about virtual reality, not virtual insanity. Though I'll link that music video in the newsletter because why not? We're talking about the MetaQuest 3 and some experiences that both of us have had that I think have been pretty good. I'm I'm excited to talk about that. But before we do either of those things... Where do you dry, Chris Plant? Where do I dry? After a shower, where do you dry? Are you fucking kidding me? No. Where do I dry? My whole body is what I dry. No, 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 no. Because no, I just no, took a no, shower. No, no, no. Not what I was asking. I, I This is my fault. I phrased it in a weird way. Specifically, when you're drying your whole body, where are you standing? So this is very intimate. You 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 let a little bit run off. You don't just hop right out of the shower. Right. That's that's amateur. Right. right? Like that that's just your recipe for disaster. But then you have a bath mat outside of the shower and you stand there and then you dry. Okay, but are you bringing the towel into the shower? No, I keep the towel right next to the bath mat. See, this is where I think people are ruining a lot of happiness that they could have in their lives. You bring a towel into the shower? Not while I'm showering, but the t- the towel is accessible <laughs> oh, after I shower such that I will turn the water off, okay. open the door, bring uh-huh. the towel into the shower with me and start drying in the warm shower air. Okay. And then once I feel like I've taken off a lot of the like excess moisture, I will then step out of the shower and do the rest of the drying. But I feel like a lot of people do what you're talking about, which is like a whatever, a shake to get the like the gist off and then step out and then do the drying. And that's like a lot of misery for those three seconds that I think there are not a lot of advantages to New York real estate. But I think this is one of them that you are in a confined enough space that you can reach out and grab a towel. What, that, what that are you saying? That your towel rack is so far away from your shower? Of, yeah. That's your that's, fault. You just installed the towel rack in a wrong place. Where would I put it? The shower, it, that, that's just not how the, the geography is. Is your bathroom, bathroom like the bathroom in uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure? My bathroom is like the bathroom in um, uh, Demolition Man. Oh, with is the shelves. Yeah, I, I I mostly, I don't actually bathe. I mostly just use shells to wipe my tuchus. I, this, I, I hear you. I'm going to try to figure out how I would even do this without in the process getting everything. I mean, you, you were know, just saying wetting. that the towel is within arm's reach of the shower. You just said You know that. what it is? You know what it is? I got it. I install towel rack on the door of the shower on the outside. Yeah. And then I put it on that. I just reach reach out. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay, we got it. We got it. That's the problem. I see. You were right. My problem is that the door to the shower here is more like a traditional. It's not a door handle. I'm not turning it. That would be weird. But it is. It's not um, horizontal. It is not meant for carrying the load of any towel. Um, which I think would help me here. Yeah, I think this is this is honestly 
this is maybe the best Christmas gift you've ever given me. Uh, you know, I'm happy to celebrate the season with you. It's the only Christmas gift. It's not even Christmas me. yet. We're about to, you know, close enough. though. Okay. It's the 25th anniversary of Half-Life. And where do we even start? Oh, with man, a game take that... a look at my life. I'm a lot like you were. We, we had a debate before we even picked this for the episode where this is on one hand, one of the most important games ever made. And on the other hand, a series is feeling so neglected at this point that I, I truly do not know how many people under the age of 25 give a single shit about this game. I know, I know, hey, you, you listening right now, you 23-year-old, who's like, I love this game. That's great for you. I'm really happy. I'm talking about the rest of those suckers. I think there might be a lot of people who a week ago maybe didn't care or hadn't sure. played it or whatever. But because the fact, and I'm sorry for people that missed the boat on this, but for like a three-day span, Valve lowered the price of the original Half-Life to zero dollars. I think mm. there's like a lot more people that have experienced this game recently than you would imagine. I, I, yeah, I think that's right. We also have talked about the Black Mesa um, project. That's right. A while ago, yeah. Besties before, which was a started as a fan uh, recreation of Half-Life. So there are many ways to play this game. What is interesting to me about the 25th anniversary is they, you know, where uh, maybe like a Sony's like, we're going to spend a lot of money. We're going to bring back Demon Souls and it's going to look better than ever. Valve said, we're going to get rid of even the like HD textures that we added a few years after the original game came back. We're going to bring back the like, desiccated corpse-looking characters of the very or- original version of this game. We're going to make this... This is the true original Half-Life experience now easier to play than ever before because you can actually play it with a controller and with, like, a, a wide field of view. Yeah, the uh, there was a version, I think Plant was alluding to, Half-Life Source, which was much hated in the community, rightly, because mm-hmm. it was buggy and a mess and a disaster. But if you... This is like extra, the version they just updated. Like if you already owned Half-Life, you've got the updated version. But the version they just updated is the closest you can really get to playing what it was like to play back then. But with the added benefit of, yeah, native controller support and a bunch of other like features that are like fun bonuses for fans of the series. So for the newcomers, what is the elevator pitch for Half-Life? Okay. The original Half-Life. Uh, well, the storyline is that you are a dweeby scientist and you're just doing your day job in this weird Area 51 type place. And part of that day job involves like pushing a rock into a big laser. And uh oh, that creates the apocalypse. And you're basically trying to escape your workplace, which is called Black Mesa, and uh, survive uh, more or less. So that's the like plot of it. The reason that you should care is, in my opinion, it's basically the first or one of the first, people will probably correct me on this, but in my opinion, one of the first that I played, narrative FPS games. Like, where narrative was, like, a big part of the FPS experience in ways that, like, when you play Doom or you play Quake, you're running through these levels, there's demons, there's whatever, but no one is, like, thinking about the story of Doom or Quake. Here you are like fully immersed in like what is going on with this environment in like really interesting ways. And I'm not talking about like reading books. There's not like lore really. It's all just environmental storytelling, 
but it is fucking fantastic. And I honestly think it has aged really well, even with the nostalgia removed from it. Yeah, the the I mean, the quintessential example is the opening of the game. You are on a tram for minutes as the credits go by. Very similar to Half-Life 2 if you played that. And you are learning about this world as you go deeper and deeper into your, effectively, your office work environment or your yeah. laboratory. Um, laboratory? Why did I say it like a British person? That's strange. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it it is now such a common thing to play a video game where uh, they ask you to take a break from the action and kind of take in the world. But at the time there wasn't much like this, whether it was in the indie space or the AAA space. I mean, the indie space was so small at that point. Um, it's hard to even compare it to what it is today. Uh, I'm going to make a, I'm going to pull out one specific feature before we dive into it deeper. That is something that is like so simple today that back then was like a mind blowing feature for half-life. The fact that the levels in the game are all, um, linked together such that you're not like getting to the end of a level, flipping a switch, and then like magically teleporting to the next level. Yeah. The the levels in this are like, you go through a hallway and there's like a one second load screen and you're in the next level. It's like all this one fluid giant complex, which in addition to feeling great, also helps reinforce the idea that this is a real place that you're trying to escape. And that shit was like no one had ever done before. Yeah, and and also just that it looked like a place that people lived and worked. Yeah, that you had a you know uh, when you were going to change into your uniform or I guess your special suit that there is a locker room there, right? And yeah. there's a soda machine, and the soda machine is like interactable. Um, it felt breathed in. One of my favorite things that I noticed this time around is there there is space beyond the walls, and what I mean is. You know, when you go back and you play Doom, right, it's it's this very rigid um, polygonal geometry, and then there are textures on the wall, and but really all the walls just are flat, right? And, yeah. and things are painted onto them. And here, there are moments where you um, find like a giant computer bay, like a, a scientific giant massive supercomputers and at one point they explode. And the way that they do that is not just changing the texture, the painting on that 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 geometry they there is a hole in it and you can see into it and there is depth and there's like sparks shooting out of it which again sounds so primitive but at the time it created a sense of realness of like oh there is actually a terminal here another example that happens throughout the game is an area that you walked past just thinking oh that is a door that i will never go into or there is a, a you know there's nothing behind that wall a explosion will happen and it will reveal a way into that space and reveal that there was a room, you know, hiding behind that wall the whole time. It it, it really creates a sense that this isn't like – it's funny. We talked about Disneyland on Besties this week. But that there is not a backstage. That this is – like behind every wall is an actual room that makes sense. Yeah, even though that's not true. But they really sell it that way yeah. and they do a good job convincing you of that. Yeah, I, right. I, I'm really like, I'll be really curious to hear from people. And please write in the newsletter um, when you when you listen to this. Uh, if you've never, ever played Half-Life 1 before and what your reaction was, because I uh, obviously some of this is nostalgia peeking in, but it's been kind of a wild experience for me. The cool thing for people who have played Half-Life 
is they also included Half-Life Uplink, which I had never played. I'd never even heard and, of Half-Life Uplink. Yes, and this was the demo that was effectively used to promote Half-Life originally. And it is, it's wild to play this game. Uh, as someone who has played the intro to the original Half-Life maybe a dozen different times. Yeah. Because it is the exact opposite of of the Half-Life intro. They condense effectively the experience of playing Half-Life in its totality into about a half hour. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. It, is, it, it, it feels it, almost like provocative in the same way that like Half-Life did back then to play a game now that just gets right into the action so fast feels weirdly modern. Yeah, a, a um, little background, which I th- yeah. found really interesting. And, and some of this comes from the documentary they just released, uh, which came out alongside the 25th anniversary update, uh, which is free on YouTube on Valve's uh, YouTube channel. It's a great documentary. Um, so this uh, Half-Life Uplink was bundled with like a sound card. And the only way you could play it is if you downloaded this special, uh, if you bought this special sound card. And so... A lot of people weren't going to play it. And then the day they submitted it, um, the the demo leaked like all over the Internet to the point where a lot of people were playing it much more than they were expecting were going to play it. And like magazines were starting to like review the demo saying like we don't normally review this stuff, but this game is awesome and you should be really pumped for the full release of the game. So it ended up being like this great advertisement for Half-Life in a way that like I don't think they were expecting. It's also like totally new and separate from the main Half-Life campaign. So if you've never played that, this like tells a different story, has different levels. I mean, it's only like, yeah, about 40 minutes long, but it is like a discrete experience, which is extremely yeah. cool as well. It feels like speedrunning Half-Life. Yeah. It, it, it's bizarre and and just such a delight. And I'm so glad that they dug it up. I... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, for whatever reason, had zero expectations for it, which is silly because they know exactly what they're doing. Um, and yet, so good. You, you mentioned the documentary. I, any any other, like, kind of pearls from that? Uh, people are, have been making a big deal about the fact that uh, Gabe Newell, who is the head of Valve, who, co- uh, who founded Valve, um, has a quote. They basically got a year into the development of Half-Life and realized it was bad. And told Sierra, the publisher at that point, hey, we're going to delay this. And we realize like you're not going to pay us for the extra delay, but we just have to hold it because it's bad right now. And Gabe in the documentary gives the new quote of late is just a little while. Suck is forever. Which I think is uh, pretty apt. I know there's a Miyamoto quote that people uh, incorrectly associate with him. Uh, A delayed game is eventually good but a rushed game is forever bad, which again, I don't think is a real quote, but this is definitely a real quote from Gabe. And uh, it's it really shows like this was the first game that Valve put out and the idea that they were willing to take it on the chin, financially speaking, for a year to make sure that it was right uh, really tells you where their heads were at. They, They also, the documentary also dives into the idea that like people were working insane hours and they're certainly not cheering that on but it's also like 22-year-olds uh, just like doing it because they wanted to and no one was like, it wasn't really a culture where people would stop them. But some of the other employees that like had families and kids were like, well, I just had to go home. And that was just like, that was fine. But 
yeah, people were here until like 4 a.m. working on textures and shit like that. Oh my gosh. Um, did you play any of like the additional <coughs> maps that they added or any of that stuff? I know they added a bunch of um, multiplayer maps to the mix, some, some uh, character models in addition to the like, I think original character model for Gordon Freeman, which is like Ivan the space biker who has like this giant beard and is very funny. Uh, but I didn't play any of the multiplayer. I mostly just like stuck to Uplink, which I played through and thought was great. And the campaign, which again, like y- you talked about Uplink being like a speed run. It's because it starts out and you've basically just got the crowbar and very few weapons. And then within 10 minutes, you've got like a shotgun, an SMG and, you know, all sor- sorts of other shit. Yeah, it feels like a speed run. It reminded me how much of a contrast that is because not only is the intro to Half-Life very like patient, but it's also like essentially a survival horror game for the first three hours where you have very little ammo. Everything can kill you in like three hits. There's very little health to go around and it's scary as shit. Like things are popping out. There's like a ton of jump scares and like lasers bursting through the walls and stuff like that. And tonally the game shifts over time where you're fighting soldiers and it becomes like much more actiony, but still like will drip back into those horror moments at times. And that balance has not changed for Valve, uh, even in Half-Life Alex, which was their VR project, where they constantly are like balancing between those two paces of survival horror slow and like super high intensity action. And it and it works. It's great for pacing, it's great for storytelling. And it makes it so that you're not getting bored and you're not getting overwhelmed. Um, I I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast, but you and I did um, some appearances on the Burgecast recently, talking about you know classic video game preservation and emulation and all sorts of things. And one of the things that we brought up there uh, that the host David Pierce I think actually mentioned is improving old games so that they're just enjoyable enough to play. That sometimes, you know, when you go back, there are games are broken in ways that are not inherently enjoyable, and that actually can keep people away. But then you are altering an old game. And I, I think they they ran into an interesting problem with this because there are n- a number of gameplay changes. Everything from they improved or changed the physics for throwing grenades to fixing, like, decades-old bugs. Um and it, it makes for a crisper and better experience, but it is not the original experience. And the way that they've accounted for that, which I think is interesting, is if you go into the beta branch, which you can do on Steam for any game, um, under like, I think it's under uh, some settings menu, there is a Steam legacy version of it. And that is the pre-25th anniversary build of the game. So... That allows you to still have the the prior experience. It also, I, I think wisely, allows you to still use old mods. Yeah. Because this is a newer version of the game. Not all mods are going to work with it. And I, I think that that is such a cool way to solve for preservation on digital platforms that you can have access to previous branches of the game. In this case, I mean, it's... It's only two, right? And and games get patched countless times. So we're still not at the point where it's like, well, I want to see what the difference is between this patch and that patch. But I think it is a step towards a solution we could see 
in the future for more games. Yeah, I think it's a really good solve. Unfortunately, it's also a solve from Valve, who has infinite money and the ability yeah. to like do this sorts of shit. Like, <laughs> true. Can you imagine? any other company doing this and not charging $30 for the privilege of being able to play this game that was very popular 30 years ago, 25 years ago. Like, Valve can do that and, like, does all the time. Like, they frequently discount their games to, like, pennies on the dollar uh, because they really have the resources because of the success of Steam to be able to do that, and they just want people to play their stuff as well. So... Uh, yeah, I wish this would be more popular, but I also understand the financial limitations that prevent it from happening. Yeah. Um, what a cool, cool thing. I think uh, I'm going to be Half-Life. Like, yeah? Yeah, for the first time in probably 20 years. Uh, I, I like, I'm really like... Do you? You don't you, think I'm going to? I think you're going to do what happens to most people, which is you get to the final third of that game in the remember. <laughs> How frustrating that, it is. That is the do- it, that that is in the documentary as well. They basically said, like, look, we realize that Zen, which is the alien part of the game, it's I don't know if it's a third. I think it's probably the last like four hours of the game. Um is not great. Uh they basically said that the reason they included it and didn't just cut it from the game is because they were so blown away by the art that was done for that section, which is genuinely pretty stunning like the whole zen area is like so genuinely alien and weird and bizarre and in such high contrast to the rest of the game that i kind of understand it but they also say like there's a lot of design stuff in there that is like the epitome of first draft like they had no time and they just put it in they're like good enough ship it and uh that's sort of where it landed i would highlight at this point um the Black Mesa team, which, again, remade Half-Life. It was a bunch of fans that remade Half-Life from scratch and got uh, Valve's approval to, like, release it on Steam and all that th- all that stuff, um, did a much better job at uh, the Zen sequence in their game. Uh, so I guess you could play through all of this version of Half-Life until you get to Zen and then switch on over to Black Mesa or, you know, just play them all and have a good time. I think either way, it's going to be a good Good, good way to spend this holiday season. Speaking of holiday season, I don't. That's not a. That's not a segue. No, I want to talk about VR. Do you want to go into the metaverse with me? Yeah, I guess so. Okay, let's do it. Okay, let's talk about VR. Here's the thing: Facebook, aka Meta. A.K.A. the Oculus Rift. Now the Meta Quest 3. The name changing, uh, not ideal. I think if you just they call it Quest 3. That's Quest like, 3. Because they're all called, called Quest. The wireless VR headsets are all called Quest. Except for the Rift. Yeah. Um, but the Quest 3 is now out. And uh, I think both of us had tried the Quest 2. Yep. We're okay. I liked it. it. It was, yeah. uh, honestly, not only I like it, it was my preferred... VR headset of all the headsets I use, mostly just because like it was a good wireless experience, which I've learned wireless VR is yes. definitely the preferred method. I don't care if it means a visual hit. It really makes a huge difference in just like being able to like feel free and not literally not tethered. Yes. I to be clear, I agree. I think it was the best option. I still just found it like frustrating at times to use it wasn't a an enjoyable or relaxing experience for me to go into vr 
Enter the Quest 3, which I have been completely charmed by. The real question I have that we will kind of dig at is like, is this just too late? That would be my number one concern for the Quest 3. But for me, this is the first VR headset that has delivered on the potential and the promise of it and, and honestly the comfort of it. And that is because the screen is very good and crisp and it doesn't have that um, screen door effect yep. where it like looks kind of blurry or pixelated. It, it looks like a video game would look <laughs> how you imagined it was going to look when you put on a VR headset for the first time. The ease of use is infinitely better because it has the pass-through video. So um, when you put the headset on, you can see everything around you. You can see everything around you so well that they actually have you use the um, an app on your phone to like install games and do things like that. It's just easier and more natural. And I was able to navigate the app on my phone while wearing the VR headset. I um, I was trying to, we'll talk about the game in a second, but I was trying to coordinate a multiplayer session with Griffin in VR. And I was literally able to message him on Slack while wearing the headset. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, and, and like typing on a, on a computer. Yeah, typing the, on a computer. Also, the app that I mentioned that ties to this, it works. It works really well. Um, you know, I picked up a couple of games on the app. Uh, it asked me if I wanted them pre-installed, and when I was ready to go play the game, it was all ready for me, and I was all set. Um, which, again, that sounds like small, but all of those things together just make for a more comfortable experience. It was not fun early in, in the VR stage of, I am going to put on my VR headset to get something to start downloading so that I can then take it off and wait. Um Having to use VR to like manage your system, not a not a not a cool experience. Um, so yeah, it, it, the controllers are also very nice, and it now has um, hand tracking. So even if you don't have the controllers uh, next to you, you can use your hands to navigate all the different systems. It's just really, really well done. Um, yeah, I think it's great I, hardware. I think it's the best. VR headset I've used and I've used like the high end like PlayStation VR 2 which you know is you know from a spec standpoint great but is lacking things like the you know audio without headphones which I really like not having to wear headphones while I'm doing VR and still being able to hear the game um, and also it's just like very light the Quest 3 is just like you can wear it and not feel like you're being weighed down by it yeah yeah I the big challenge is the software yeah. is what do you play on this? And and I will be clear up front. There's some things I've really enjoyed, but there's just not a lot. Right. <laughs> uh, and that seems strange for how far we are, how many years we are into, into this. What, yeah. what did you play? Yeah, I played, I've played a bunch of stuff over the years, uh, but most, most recently, specifically for this, a few of the games I played, I mentioned the multiplayer game. This was actually the first time I've ever done multiplayer in VR. I never like got around to trying it. it was a game called Dungeons of Eternity, um, which is a game title I keep forgetting, but it is essentially a FPS RPG like dungeon crawler with progression hooks where like you'll level up and find more gear and unlock like perks for your character and whatever. So like from a like general elevator pitch standpoint, very, very simple. But honestly, in this 
scenario where you're trying to get people to play multiplayer in VR, all you want them to do is be able to jump in quickly and be able to like hack it shit in a cool way. And this game crushes that. It's so easy to jump in and just like very quickly be having an experience. It also props to this game. It has um, a lot of um, accessibility features, specifically teleport motion, which I need because I get motion sick very easily. But if a game has teleport, I have no problems. Uh, This game has that, but it also has like natural motion if you have no problem with motion sickness. Um, I was really, really blown away by it. Um, Just because like it was just like instantly a fun uh, experience. I was like throwing daggers at spiders as Griffin is like chugging health potions and throwing firebombs at people. It was like really genuinely exciting. Um, I played Assassin's Creed Nexus. Oh, yeah. Which is sick. I I am so impressed by this, and I was very, very skeptical. I saw a promotional trailer for it, I think, at the Quest 3 reveal event, and visually it wasn't doing much for me at all. Um, but once you actually put on the headset, being in Assassin's Creed, uh, specifically the Ezio era, even if it does kind of look like that era, it looks, you know late xbox 360 early xbox one um it's still really cool and impressive and the way that they do it there's kind of two phases uh, with like a lot of assassin's creed games there's the like hacker meta story and have you did you get a chance to try any of this no i haven't played nexus so the hacker thing that gets you into the game is like minority report in your room so it's using mixed reality. It's using that pass-through video where you can see your room, but then there are um, kind of like screens popping up uh, that you are working your way through as like a kind of a business employee. And then you get some – like you get taken to the, effectively an office of your supervisor who is giving you like work tasks. Um, and it's just very – it's very clever. Um from there, you get transported back in time and you are put into the shoes of Ezio. And it's an Assassin's Creed experience. You uh, walk around these, you know, um, uh, like villas or uh, kind of mansions uh, in, in uh, distant Italy and you stealth kill people you can if you like kind of whip your hand you uh sling out the blade the hidden hidden blade and you can sneak up behind people and stab them uh you <laughs> does it feel weird to stab guys or is there like because i know it, they do it, haptics in dungeons of eternity which actually kind of sells the weight of it it kind of works i found that the sword fighting worked better for me yeah in terms of it like feeling like Oh, okay. I'm clinking and clanking, um, but it it still it feel. I mean, it just feels cool to sneak around. I I'm finding that a stealth game is kind of a nice match for VR, especially something like this because it does move slowly and you can be methodical. Um, I played with like actually walking around in a 3D space using the um, uh, the joystick on on one of the Quest controllers. And it didn't make me nauseous. So I don't know like what they're doing there. I, I did notice like when you move around very quickly, the faster you move, the the corners of the screen actually like 
dim. Yeah, and it, it yeah, it's called vignetting or like horse yeah. blinders. It's a common VR technique that some games use to minimize uh, motion sickness. Unfortunately, it doesn't work for me. I've tried that ah. as well. Uh, but I would imagine there's probably some way to do um, teleport as well. Teleporting, yeah. Um, and yeah, if, if you you might want that if you are weak to the stomach because not only are you running around, but there's a lot of climbing yeah. in the game. So you have to do that um, by standing up and reaching up and grabbing on to these little pieces of brick as you ascend a, you know, a three or four story wall and you can look down and see the drop. And there are the leaps of faith uh, that you have in Assassin's Creed games where you jump off of very tall buildings. Um, so it's definitely a, a test on the tummy, um, but it does a lot that it, it, it never really bothered me. The only thing I'll say, and this is kind of a challenge that I have with all VR, is definitely by an hour, even by a half hour, I've just had enough. Yeah. Um, it is so overwhelming of my senses to be in a VR headspace, like not just making me nauseous. It's just a lot um, that I, I I need to get out. And on one hand, that's cool. I like short gaming sessions. On the other hand, it it does feel a little weird to get into something like Assassin's Creed. And even though I'm having fun, my brain is like, okay, that's that's enough. You you need to you need to take a break because. Otherwise, you're going to start melting down. Yeah, I think that's why there are probably fewer narrative VR experiences that, like, you know, can go for 20 or 30 hours uh, because, yeah, people just don't have the tolerance for it. But I do think smart developers develop with that in mind. Uh, you know, Dungeons of, Dungeons of Eternity, like 20 or 30 minutes uh, is a run. And, and you could just stop at the end of that and feel like you accomplished something. Uh, Half-Life Alex. Doesn't work on Quest natively, but you can play it over, like, if you're wired or wireless using Steam VR, you can do that. And that game was also designed in these, like, 20-minute chunks, and I think that is, like, a really perfect uh, length. Yeah, I will say for hardcore Assassin's Creed fans, the Assassin's Creed games, I think, are always quite good at historical tourism. Um, obviously, the stories aren't realistic, but they're a chance to walk around thoughtful versions of recreating the past right what's interesting about nexus is it's not so much about tourism of the past as it is tourism of assassin's creed so being able to like go to Ezio's house if you're a mega fan of the series to be able to actually walk around that estate it's really neat you're not learning anything about history but it is cool to be able to go into a game that I or a series I've really enjoyed in the past and suddenly feel kind of like it's a lived in space. That this I is where Ezio was fucking. And this is where this is where the magic happens. <laughs> um, yeah, it was neat. I, I also played Power Wash Simulator. Did you play yes, much of this? I played this as well. Uh, I am a fan of the original Power Wash Simulator, which has been out on a number of platforms for many years. I have been waiting for the VR installment of Power Wash Simulator for years because the one thing that holds the original back is just from an input standpoint, it's kind of awkward to do the power washing simulator with a controller or even a mouse at that point. There's like, it just doesn't feel as fluid as it could be for what it is 
And I always imagine that VR would be a really good platform for it. And honestly, like, I think it is, but I do think that the version of Power Watch Simulator that is currently live on the Quest Store is a little underbaked for where it should be. I'll give you a couple examples. For one thing, if you bought a Quest 3 recently, at least the version that I played did not have Quest 3 support, which is to say it ran on the Quest 3, but it's not supporting like its full resolution uh, screen and seems to be really taking a hit on like textures and a lot of other stuff. It still plays well, but it feels like it should be playing better uh, given the hardware. But if you're looking for something like very chill, it is it is a very chill VR experience. So that so that is kind of the benefit of it, and it has a lot of like teleport motion or natural motion, whatever you're into, on that on that side. Um, I know you yeah. felt like it was a little uh, <laughs> revealing of the nature of Power Wash Simulator. Yeah. Yeah, this is not a fair critique because you can say this about. I think it's like funny. Game. I think it's a funny critique. It, it really hammers home the silliness of video games when you spend a half hour washing a make believe truck in virtual reality, and then you go and get in your car and it's filthy, and you're like, you're just like, why did I do that? <laughs> why, why, why am I doing free labor in a video game? when I could just come out and do that same labor for myself? And the answer is obvious. Like, you're not getting soaking wet. You get to use this super cool power wash tool. It just works how you would like it to work in real life. Don't get me wrong. It's cool. It just, I couldn't shake it. I could not shake it in the the when i really when it really broke me is i um with this like filthy van i cleaned all of it i was at 99 percent, and you can hit a button that reveals all the gunk and i like, could not find this gunk and then i realized oh it wants me to clean out the grates yeah on the front of this van so here i am in my office kneeling down in my VR headset, you know, using like the finest tooth comb of of power wash to get inside of this grate and get out all these dead flies or whatever. And I had, I did have a real, like, what the fuck am I doing? (laughs) Like this can't, this isn't right. I just like Um, the purity of it. I like how direct it is about an experience that you could be having in real life but you're doing it in a virtual world insofar as like, I'm never going to run a farm. Like that's never going to happen for me, but I might have to wash my car. And yeah. uh, I, I just <laughs> like the the purity and simplicity of that, even though I agree with you, it, it does uh, make me look inward sometimes. I also just love where they choose to like, stick to reality like again you have this super power washer you can change it use all these different nozzles all these different things it's so good like stuff just flood dirt and gunk is flying off your car right but hey if you want to clean off the roof you better get a step stool you can't fly in this universe that would be weird Like what? Just let me. Like why? Why am I getting a step stool? I can. I'm. I am the super washer, and yet here I am. You know, troubled by my lack of height and the the troubles of gravity. Um. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. long story short, the Meta Quest Three, quite good. It's good hardware. I here's what I'm gonna say. If 
you've tried VR before. It wasn't for you. This is definitely not for you either. Like, I don't think it changes anything that dramatically to make it like a world changing experience. I think if you are a VR snob, it is a great way to experience VR. It's like the best wireless headset that exists right now for VR. Um, but I would say if you've feel like you've played everything over the last like five or six years that are on all the like best of games lists those lists have not dramatically changed over those five or six years so you know while there are a few cool games to check out nexus dungeons of eternity both great games you are not going to see a ton of releases coming out all the time that are like wow, I wonder what's on VR now. Like, there just aren't that many amazing games coming out on the platform, and I don't think there will be because the audience is still really, really small. So that is sort of what you're fighting between. Uh, cool. I think we have, like, we have one piece of reader mail that I want to oh, share. Oh, that's exciting. Um, oh, my gosh. I just realized who this is from. Uh, this is from Evan Minsker, who actually is a friend <laughs> um uh evan minsker uh writes for pitchfork and people should read his stuff it, it's a delight um evan wrote boys were you aware that there was a like a dragon gaiden the man who erased his name street fight tonight on aew dynamite featuring cosplay and the team of chris jericho the big show kenny omega and kota ibushi Please consider watching it and reporting back if you do. Um, I, I did not know. I have dug up the video on YouTube. This looks awesome, and I am going to drop it into the newsletter because what a joy that is uh, that the world would give us this. Uh, is this when you're going to also talk about the fact that you made me play that game? Oh, yeah. We should probably talk about that, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess that can kind of blend into like honorable mentions or dishonorable mentions in your case. Well, not even, not even. Uh, just a little background. I've this is my third Yakuza game or Like a Dragon, which is the series is now called, and uh, I played it off of Plants Recommendation. Plant wrote a very good review about how, how this is like a great entry point because it's kind of like a you know, welcoming people to the series, but in like a truncated way. Um, the game is called Like a Dragon, Gaiden, uh, the man who forgot his name. Did I get that right? I think erased his name. Erased it, his it's name. the Half-Life uplink of, yeah. of Like a Dragon games. Yeah. Um, and it was fine. I sort of come away from all <laughs> of these uh, Yakuza games feeling the same way, which is... I really, really like when they get super duper weird. Like you're fighting a bear that just escaped from the zoo. I am like so gung-ho about that. But so much of these games is focused around, around like Yakuza politics and like backstabbing and like crime drama stuff that doesn't land with me at all. And it's like 90% that and like 10% a pretty serviceable beat-em-up game. And I'm sort of at a point where I don't know that I can play any more of these. <laughs> I think that is fair. I will say for people who do enjoy these games, like myself, this is not the best one at all. But it is, this. I think, the silliest. Within minutes, you have Spider-Man powers. Within hours, you have a swarms of drones. 
Um, you have cigarettes that are bombs that you can throw at people. There is a giant floating um, sin theme park, I guess. Not sim, sin. Uh, of just, you know, lust and blood and bloodlust. It is so cheesy and such a delight. And I think, uh, yeah, a really fun way to kind of wrap up, I guess not even wrap up, but transition this character ahead of the Like a Dragon turn-based game, which is now kind of like the main line that is coming out, I believe, in the end of January. Yeah, somewhere um, around there. I, I should also mention I had no idea who this character was, but I gleaned enough to know that they had a sordid past and then they yeah. entered he's a the monastery. He's the one in all of the games. That's who it is. It's the one who's in all of the games. Really? Yes, Wait, this all is the... of the games. The very recent one, that one has Ichiban in it, and that is the first time we've had a different main character. There are like side characters who you play, but this is this is the main character. I, uh, well, who did I play in Ishin? Well, you played him and like dressed up as historical oh, version of a, got a it. different okay. person. But yeah, this is this is the guy. This is him. Um, He's going yeah, to Hawaii next. That's like he is. And 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 here's how I'm going to get you to play that one. There is an entire Animal Crossing game within it. Mm. Uh huh. Mm. See, you're a little you're a little curious. You're, I mean, I like Hawaii ready. as a setting. That is encouraging. But I'm just I'm I'm putting the football down and I'm saying take a good swing at it. I think you can kick it this time. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I like, I like this game. I, I, I'll drop my review in, in the newsletter too. Um, any, anything else that you, uh, have been enjoying? I think that's it. I, you, uh, my free time was really spent playing that game. And so, <laughs> uh, I wasn't able to experience any time with my family. Uh, my son was sick and I just left him to the wolves to see how he would fare. He, he did pretty well. I gotta say he did fine. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't think there's any, I'm still watching Harley Quinn. This season of Harley Quinn has been phenomenal. That series continues to be just spectacular. Um, definitely one of the, my favorite animes, animated series. Um, so yeah, I, um, I continue to recommend that. Did you watch the frog and toad show on, uh, Apple TV plus no children's cartoon? So there's a children's cartoon version of frog and toad that is like, quite loyal to the books is very sweet and just delicate and nice um and i'm watching it and out of nowhere this character comes on delivers one line and i'm like that's ron what's oh. ron doing in this show for just just showing up just here here he is he's got one thing to say i hope he's in more episodes but immediately i was like i i was the leo dicaprio meme pointing at the tv being like that's our guy He's right there. You know what's very funny about Ron in Harley Quinn? Ron, for those that don't know, play plays King Shark in Harley Quinn, is even though he's King Shark, which is just a large shark person, he's mm. still a fucking dork in Harley Quinn. They make him the IT guy at the Legion of Doom, and he's just like into the stuff that Ron is into. So I love that <laughs> they've like really informed the character off of just like Ron. Uh, it's great. He has some really great stuff in in this new season. Yeah, that rolls. Um, cool. Uh, I think that's it. I think we did an episode to recap for everybody. We talked about who? Let me see. We talked about Half Life, twenty fifth anniversary. We talked about Half Life Uplink, which if you want to try that, it is inside of the menu for 
the Half-Life. So if you, again, if you already owned Half-Life and you download it, when you play new game, it'll give you the option to pick that if you want to give it a go. Uh, we also talked about the MetaQuest 3, and we talked about Dungeons of Eternity, Power Wash Simulator VR, Assassin's Creed Nexus, and then we talked about Like a Dragon Gaiden, which I enjoyed, uh, Frog and Toad on Apple TV+, and Harley Quinn on Max. Awesome. And that's it. If you want all links to all those different things and a, a number of things that we mentioned throughout this episode, including that uh, AEW Pro Wrestling match uh, featuring Sega cosplay, you can find that in our newsletter at besties.fan. Please go and subscribe. It's much appreciated. Another thing that you can do if you enjoy the show, because, hey, it's the giving season, go leave a review. Go to Apple Podcast, uh, find the besties, and leave one of those. Oh, if you want, five-star review. goes a long way. It helps us get the word out to the show. And the very, the very best thing you can do is just share the show with a friend. Because not only are you helping us out, but you're making their life better, you know? And tis the season. And that's it. That's it for the resties. We did it. We love it. This is the resties, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. I'm Christopher Thomas Plant. I'm you are. Russ Frustick, not how we end the show. <laughs> and uh, now here's where we say it. Ready? Resties. Resties. Definitely not how we end the show. <laughs> <laughs>